we're doing is a little bit more intentional. So mm. we would be working with somebody's uh, anger and frustration as, as a layer, right? And then to try to get them to a deeper layer. And maybe it happens in that moment or maybe it happens at, at some time in the future. But um, we're trying to get to what's underneath, mm. right? What's underneath that anger? Why are you so frustrated? Mm. Why are you so angry? What's going on here? What is this mm. about? And how are you creating this pattern in your life? Right? There's probably some need underneath it, or there's some place where you uh, are allowing your boundaries to be violated, or maybe there's a place that you are betraying yourself mm. or you're holding back. And that's why you're so frustrated. And what is that and why? And it's probably something from your child. There's probably something really painful here. And what I'm holding in my consciousness when I'm working with people is one simple question. What are they unwilling to feel? What is scary for them to feel? Hmm. What's at the root here? And it's, it's always something to do with their pain and fear, right? So really what we're doing, doing is trying to take people into the center of their pain, knowing that if they can feel that, really hmm. feel it and let it through their body, something is going to be liberated and mm. it's going to set them free. Hello, Optimizers family. This is JJ Ruescas and this is another episode of Optimizandome or Optimizing Me, the show where we invite top performers from different industries to learn from their story, their ups and downs, their habits, routines, and mostly their mindset. Our guest today is a psychosomatic therapy therapist with a very unique journey. He started his career in 1995, but actually it was an acting career. He starred in different films and TV shows, being one of them the very well-known Gilmore Girls that is even nowadays enjoyed by a cross-generational audience. At the top of his career, he felt a deep dissatisfaction, which led him to a workshop called Radical Aliveness. And that was the starting point for him to discover a whole new role, a role he was born to play. And we're going to talk about that today. Currently, he is the host of the podcast, The Psychosphere, and also he leads the workshop called Deep Feeling Workshop a space where he helps people get in touch with their inner essence and their emotional core. And he does that using techniques beyond traditional talk therapy. And we're going into that today. I'm super excited about this conversation because our guest is a man that inspires the continuous reinvention of our identities, always anchored in what's true to each one of us. Without further ado, let me introduce you to David Sutcliffe. Happy to be here. Dave. Wonderful introduction. Thank you. Actually, thank you for, for, for inviting to your house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is the space that we, uh, that we work out of. This is our, our workshop space. Um, yeah. And it's fantastic. Like we were mm -hmm. talking before, it is a great office space for, <laughs> for what you guys do. Yeah. So let's start with this. Who's David Sutcliffe and what does it mean to be a psychosomatic therapist somatic means of the body so it's a i'm trained in core energetics and core energetics uh, evolved out of bioenergetics in the 70s there was a man named john paracas who uh kind of invented it 
and uh, it, it uses different physical techniques um, like hitting, punching, kicking, and, and breath work to help people access feelings that are held in the body. So in a sense, the body is uh, almost serves as uh, the unconscious, right? That our unconscious feelings and emotions, are, they live in our body. And so when we express our feelings through the body, we can liberate, uh, liberate these feelings and liberate some of the trauma that we hold. And uh, I was uh, drawn to traditional talk therapy uh, early on in my 20s, and I got a lot from it. Uh, understanding what I call the math of the issues, meaning things happen to us in our childhood that imprint on us and that later affect us in our adult lives. And trying to understand that and put the pieces of the puzzle together, I think is very important. And that's what traditional talk therapy is about, at least on one level. But uh, I was looking to feel more. I wanted to feel. I had this intuitive sense that healing came through feeling. And, but I couldn't feel. And this therapy gave me a place and it had techniques that allowed me to really get into the feelings, into the, the anger, the frustration, the pain. It took me to those places and I felt liberated because of it. So I became very, very passionate about it. And it's, it's edgy, certainly, because there's always a part of us that resists feeling. Feeling is scary. Feeling takes us out of control, really. And there's a reason that we uh, hold back our feelings because it doesn't feel safe to express them. So uh, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to convince people to do. Intuitively, we know it's good to feel our feelings. We actually get somebody in the room um, and it's, it's a lot harder. There's a lot of resistance to feeling. Sorry, there are so many things to unpack there. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I need to get used to the microphone, by the way. Yeah. Um, so first of all, this is interesting because you, being an actor, have had a lot of exposure to your feelings or to expressing feelings. Yeah. How come it was not something that actually helped to transition, for example, or or instead to heal by the acting process? Well, the acting process did uh, did allow me to heal a lot, but it also showed me exactly where I was blocked because there were certain scenes that I had to play and I could feel that it was difficult for me to, to go there, right, to really access something. And that's what made me hyper aware of it. And I actually felt like the work that I did in Core Energetics Radical Liveness was the best actor training that I ever had. And in fact, I, I remember doing a series of workshops and then coming back to an acting class uh, that I hadn't been in in a year when I was living in Los Angeles. And uh, I remember the acting uh, teacher saying, what the hell happened to you? What's, you know, what have you been doing? And I told her, you know, what was going on. So um, it's, uh, yeah, the acting helped, but it also, it, it showed me where, in fact, I was, I was blocked. Hmm. So question, let's go back in time. What led you first to acting? I, I mean, that's a, that's a, who knows, right? Like, I mean, I was just drawn to it. I had an instinct for it, uh, in, in high school, uh, I was very good at reading out loud and the, the acting teachers, uh, at our school would always ask me to audition for the school plays, but I was a jock. So it didn't really, uh, mix. We didn't mix the actors and the jocks didn't really hang out. And I didn't really have, I didn't have the time for it. I was too busy playing sports. 
But then I got to university and I had an injury. Basketball, I was a basketball player and I, I got an injury and I was living with a guy who was a playwright. And uh, I was an English lit major, so I had, I had an interest in, in theater. And I asked him if I could help him out, you know, with, with the play that he was doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he suggested that, that I audition, and I did. And he gave me a small part, and uh, I got up on stage, and I was, I was hooked, you know. And it felt very similar to sports. You rehearse, which is like practice, and then you perform, which is like the game. Mm-hmm. So the, the format of it uh, felt... Uh, felt familiar. And, uh, I, I just liked the, um, the play of it, like, uh, and the challenge that it was. And, uh, I, I enjoyed performance and I enjoyed taking the audience on a journey. And, and it's really, you're a storyteller. Actors mm-hmm. are just storytellers. And, uh, there was something liberating, uh, about it, um, about being seen in that way. It's very vulnerable to be an actor, uh, because you're exposed and, uh, but it's also very freeing once you get over that fear, there's something on the other side, mm-hmm. people are looking at you, seeing you. And, and, uh, and I think we're all in some way longing for that. And there was probably something from my childhood, some, something neurotic. Um, cause we do know that, uh, a lot of actors come from broken homes and that was true for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe on the, on the psychological level, there is, there is some, uh, neurotic need that actors have to, uh, to be seen. They, they, there's this desire to be, to be seen, to be recognized. And I think that was certainly one of the things that drew me into it, but also it was just, you know, creative expression. Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, wanting to be a part of, uh, telling stories and, and, you know, like a lot of people just having a, a fantasy of, you know, being in, being in the movies. Hmm. It, that is very interesting because actually one of the first episodes that we had in the podcast was with um, one of my oh, my former acting teacher years ago. Oh yeah. And uh, but like you said, it is a form at least for me when I attended to the, that class. It was therapy for me. It was not yeah. an acting class. And the, the the feeling of first the fear that someone experiences in front of a of an audience of a stage. Mm-hmm. And in this case, what's the difference between being an actor and actually acting out in, in a networking event or trying to connect with someone new is like, are we not playing still roles outside of the stage? I think so. Yeah. I think we're always in a role in some way and we're always wearing a mask and we're always performing. Uh, I think what acting taught me more than anything else is presence because that's what the camera reads is presence. If you are really present in the scene with the other actor, if you're really looking at them, if you're really paying attention, if you're really listening, that's when the scene is most alive. And the camera picks that up. You can fake it and it'll be fine. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you just can't find the flow or the scene's not working or for whatever reason. But when you drop into that flow state and everything feels connected and and you feel present, that's when the magic happens. And you can see it. You can see it on camera. Those scenes they have a they have a life to them, and so uh, I think that that's the thing that I took with me more than anything is the ability to come into presence and and feel the power of presence. So I was able to take that out into my life at you know, networking events mm-hmm. or or facilitating workshops. It's like the more present that I can be, the more um, the more connected I am, and mm-hmm. uh, presence is very very compelling. 
And it's not easy to be present, right? Most of us hide uh, aspects of ourselves, and um, whether we're aware of it or not, right? Like we can unconsciously hold back and uh, being present is just being all the way here with all of who I am, undefended, uh, not being concerned with what people think of me, not trying to manipulate how it is that I'm seen. I'm just being, I'm existing here. And that's a very attractive quality in a person because there's no demand or expectation that, uh, that you're putting on another person and it creates space and freedom in the interaction. And, uh, to me, that is that that's, that's all I'm ever trying to do with my clients foundationally is bring them into presence and to, uh, look at and work with all the places that they resist being present. And the reason we resist being present is fear, mm. you know, fear from our childhood, because there's aspects of ourself that we learn were not okay. And so we repress them. We deny them. We shame them. We disassociate from them in some way. And that stops us from being all the way present. So, mm. Um, the work that I do and, 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 and it was part of it as an actor is, uh, what happens if I'm all the way here, fully expressed, fully expressed without shame, without reservation, fully alive, radically alive as the, the, the workshop suggests. And, uh, that's what we're trying to help. That's what we're trying to help people with. That's where we're trying to take them. So what does being fully alive mean? Because or yeah. being fully alive, expressing in in the moment. Because many people, like you said, we hold repress repress our emotions, conditioned by what society, our families said when we were maybe kids, and nowadays we still have that conditioning. Even nowadays, right? Yeah. Is. And um, for example, it happens to me also when I'm working with someone, and they. They say, I cannot express uh, anger mm -hmm. uh, because I will hurt the other person. Yeah. And so there is, what, what is this kind of conditioning? What's, what's it causing, actually? What's the cost of being conditioned by, what's, by those? What's the cause? Right. What's the cost first and what's the cause? What so? Oh, the cost yeah, and the both, cause. Both yeah, ones. yeah. Well, I mean, I think we, we understand the cost. We, we know that holding back is, is it's not healthy. Like just, just intuitively, we not feeling our feelings we know is not good, right? Holding back our feelings, you're holding back flow and there's an intelligence to our energy, right? There's an intel, like when we're in full flow state, when we're aligned, when we're not held back and everybody's had that feeling, uh, there's an intelligence that wakes up that's beyond the rational, right? That, that kind of flow state place. And I think that's where we're all trying to get, right? Um, but when we have emotional blocks, it's very hard to get into flow state, uh, particularly in, in, in certain areas. Right. And we all have fears about feeling and things happen to us in our childhood that, uh, we learn, uh, from our caregivers, uh, th there's aspects of ourselves that are welcome in the environment and there are aspects of ourselves that are not welcome, whether that's uh, communicated directly or indirectly, we feel it as children and children's primary objective is to stay connected and in favor with their caregiver. Mm. They're vulnerable. They're helpless. That's their best strategy to survive. To survive. Yeah. So any aspect of themselves that feels like a threat to that mm. connection, 
uh, they're going to deny. They're going to disassociate. They're going to repress. They're going to bury, right? And uh, and that creates a framework in their mind. They start to think about things. This aspect of me is bad. It's not welcome. It's not safe for me to express it because I'm going to lose the connection. And the problem is we then take that orientation, that blueprint, that map of reality that got embedded in our psyche when we were very, very young. And uh, we take that out into the world and apply it to everything. Mm, wow. And so we are often in mass mm. distortion. And that's what causes us all kinds of problems in our life because we're not really, we're not in reality, mm. right? We're still operating from the child's point of view and the false conclusions that they drew from their experience. Mm. So what we're trying to do in this work is help people express everything that they held back. And, and there's layers of it, of course, and it takes time and it's scary for people because they have a belief that if this part of me ex is expressed, if it's seen, it's a threat. Hmm. I'm, it's not safe. I'm going to be rejected. I'm not going to be loved, right? Or I'm going to be attacked. I'm going to be exiled, abandoned, whatever the fear is. It's not good. Hmm. Right. And what happens is when people actually take the risk and express themselves in our workshops, what they see is that it has the opposite effect, that people are in fact drawn to hmm. authenticity. Authentic expression is compelling. And so that rewires their whole brain. You know, when you give them a new experience of themselves, they have a belief that, oh, if this part of me comes out, this anger, uh, it's going to be bad. Uh, people aren't going to like me. But then you come in the room and when they express themselves authentically uh, and it brings more aliveness to the room and it brings more connection or people like it because they can feel them more, mm -hmm. then it, it, it changes their whole orientation. Right. And they start to uh, maybe see more possibility. They almost pass through a portal and it creates new neural pathways in the brain and they start to undo the programming from their childhood. That's ultimately what we're we're trying to help people with. Mm, basically to expand their model of their reality. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. And so we're going to, let's put a pin here. We're sure. going to get back at here. So question, you were at the height of your career as an actor. You were expressing these emotions. How come you, you got into a place where it was not working anymore? Well, I think acting is, you're in a box a little bit and it's a, it's a big industry. And there's a lot of, it's big business. I mean, Hollywood is big business. You're working for a corporation. That's what I realized when I got to Hollywood. I was like, oh, I'm working for Disney. I'm working for Warner Brothers. I'm working for a massive corporation. I'm just a, a cog in that wheel. And I don't like that, right? I didn't feel free. That's not why I got into it. And I got into express myself, you know, creatively. And So this work was really uh, felt like more true to what I actually wanted. It was more satisfying. It was more fulfilling. It was, there was more freedom for me here. And a lot of the things that I was looking for as an actor, I found in this work, um, particularly in the way that it was led by my teacher, Ann Bradney, in her radical aliveness model, which was essentially, we're going to get in a room 
together and, and she's a master facilitator. But the, the, the objective, the invitation to everybody participating is don't hold back. I mean, just feel the, the, that invitation. Like, we all hold back all the time. Mm. We're, we're all holding back. And it's painful to hold back, right? And this invitation was don't hold back. You don't have to hold back anything. You're like, anything? And then as things come up, you know, you're like, well, I have to hold back this. And it's like, well, what if I don't? What's going to happen if I don't? And, you know, that's what we're doing. We're creating a space where you don't have to hold back anything. And what happens is if if everybody is not holding back. If everybody's expressing themselves, yes, it can tend towards a certain kind of chaos, but it also creates a coherence mm. because if energy is not held or blocked, if energy is moving and it's fully expressed, it actually comes into a coherence. There's an intelligence in it. It's the blocking of energy that creates problems. It creates distortions. It creates pain. So that is a a total, uh, you know, game-changing, uh, mind-blowing situation, a realization that you have when it's like, mm -hmm. oh, actually letting go, being fully expressed is, is what's going to uh, lead me to greater intelligence, greater coherence. And, and also, if you don't hold back, you're going to get what you want. How come again? If you don't hold back, like think about it intuitively. Okay. If you, If don't, you don't hold back, oh. you're going to get everything you want. So basically, it's why are you not getting what you want? Because you're holding back. Mm. If you're free, if you're not holding back, if you're risking all the time, now you have to build a container within yourself. That's that's the other thing. If you've been repressing feeling your entire life, you can't just walk in a room and start you know screaming and yelling on the first right. day. It's like it's you have to sort of uh, build your system. It's like working out. Mm. You just You have to start slowly. You have to you have to build that container inside yourself to tolerate that level of energy moving through. So you and you have to bring a lot of awareness to yourself and and uh, you know how your emotions work in the in the kind of mechanisms of your mind. Right, mm -hmm. you're trying to eliminate distortion, but once you bring a lot of awareness to yourself, you can then become discerning, mm -hmm. right? And so it, it just just because the invitation is you know, don't hold back. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be discerning about, uh, uh, about how you express yourself, but it's a choice, right? Like I can make a choice. Am I going to hold back in this situation or am I not? I'm not doing it out of fear, which usually we hold back out of mm. fear, but that's different than I'm making a choice to hold back because I'm being discerning because it's not going to serve me to express myself in this way, in this situation. Mm, got it. It's more a, like you said, a decision than an emotional knee-jerk reaction in this yeah. case. That's interesting. So question, you, how did you end up in radical aliveness actually? Because I guess that that was not the first thing that you just tried. No, I, well, I'd, I'd done some core energetics therapy with an individual therapist, mm. but I was uh, 35. I had just gotten dumped by my uh, movie star girlfriend. Uh, I was, literally was dating a movie star and uh, I was in love with her. She was beautiful and, and I was in fantasy, the, the truth of it is, but um, she dumped me and it, I don't know, it took me down for some reason. I think all of the heartbreak from my childhood, it all, it all started to, to come up. And 
any, everything that I hadn't resolved or dealt with was, was just became very, very present. And, uh, I was just questioning everything about my life and I couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't find my way out of the hole that I, that I was in, um, the sadness, the, the, I guess a kind of depression and a friend recommended this workshop to me and I went up and, uh, had the experience and, uh, it was, you know, 20 people at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. And, uh, uh, yeah, that was it. I got my mind totally blown. Uh, I had an incredibly deep experience that, um, just completely changed my whole view of reality. Hmm. And, um, but also I, I witnessed so many people doing deep work and, and, came to realize oh everybody is walking around with pain and fear and unresolved trauma and it's causing us all kinds of problems in the world and mm. mostly in in our relationships but also in our career but but mostly in our career because of the way we are in relationship and um and I saw what was at the emotional root of it. Mm. And, uh, I just thought everybody needs to, to know, know this, like mm. <laughs> what's actually going on. Like, this is the truth. Like this is not surface level solutions. Like we're getting to the emotional mm, wow. core of what's actually going on with people. And I just went on a mission to, to share it. And I also had this very strong impulse. I wanted to like learn what she was doing and I wanted to be able to do what she was doing. I just, I had that thought and I don't know why, I don't know where that came from, but I just, something woke up inside me and I was like, mm -hmm. I want more of that. And, um, and then a year later I was in her training program. Hmm. Do you remember what was the specific experience that actually was that breakthrough? Well, I, uh, I killed my mother is what happened in the workshop. I, uh, I was driving up feeling a lot of rage, like almost the kind of rage where my body was shaking, but also the kind of rage where there's grief connected mm. to it. So it's like anger and sadness all mixed together. Mm. And, um, and uh, some, there was a number of things that happened in the workshop. The workshop was mostly women. And uh, at some point I got triggered by what was happening in the room and, and just in terms of the women and, and feeling this place where I had, all, I had a lot of anger towards women, mm. which was news to me. And that there was actually a part of me that hated women, and, which was news to me. I didn't, I didn't think I hated women. And it didn't make sense to me because I didn't, you know, I didn't act in that way. It wasn't conscious, but there was some part of me, obviously there was a part of me that loved women, but there was another part of me, a shadow part of me that, that hated. And, um, Anne got me up at the front of the room and she asked me, have you ever worked with your cruelty? And I, I didn't really even know what that meant. My cruelty, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have cruelty, you know. And then she uh, took out a, this pad, this, you know, boxing pad and put boxing gloves on me. And I started punching. She had just this punch. And, and all of a sudden I, I started punching really, really hard. And some animal primal part of me woke up and 
I just wanted to fucking kill her. Mm. And I started saying all of these not nice things to her about like me being in control. Like I'm the one in control now. Can you feel my strength? I can do whatever I want to you. It was this cruel, torturous energy that was coming out of me. And we just kept following it. She kept leading the process until I got to the point where I was on my hands and knees, like pounding with my fists. And she was laying there as, as though I was killing her. And I couldn't believe the level of anger and rage. It was, it shocked me and I was completely absorbed. I mean, I was present. I I knew where I was and what was going on, but I was completely lost, dissolved in this emotion of Mm. uh, rage, murderous rage, completely uh, lost control, uh, gave over to it, Mm. which was an incredible experience to have. And then um, when all of that energy was discharged, um, she laid me down on uh, a mattress and uh, had me reach my hands up like a little baby would be reaching for, you know, his mother. And uh, she said she kind of came over in my in my, you know, uh, line of sight, like a little mother looking down Mm. at the baby um, and said, you know, what did you need from me? You know, in the, in the role of the mother. And I said, I just needed you to love me. And, and, but then I burst into uh, uncontrollable body shaking, sobbing mm. uh, for, you know, it felt like 15 minutes. My body just was shaking and I was crying and it was the most profound experience I'd had in my life up to that point. And, you know, listen, I want to say my mother's awesome. My mother is not, I wasn't abused. I mean, it was, this was just the, this is, we all are walking around with, with some version of this. My mother was very young. She was 21 and she was overwhelmed and I just didn't get my needs met. And I didn't really think much of it. I mean, I knew I had some stuff, but then I realized how deep it actually was that I was walking around with this rage inside mm. me, but also this pain and this grief and this longing. And it was completely unconscious. And then you think about, well, if that's inside me un- and I'm unaware of it, it's mm. literally trapped in my body. How is that affecting my relationships with obviously with women and and with the world and how is it distorting, you know, the way that I'm seeing things and thinking about things and thinking about myself. So it was a, uh, a transformative experience and, and also understanding then that, uh, people's, uh, anger, their rage, their, their cruelty is actually a defense. Mm. It's a way that they're protecting themselves from pain, which makes sense. Right. And that then orients you in a much different way in the world. So when I see people that are extremely angry, like the, the, you know, quote unquote assholes Mm -hmm. or the bitches, whatever it is, I'm like, oh, they're, they're, they're in pain. Hmm. Well, we turn you more empathetic. Yeah. Much more empathetic where you're coming into, into reality. They're locked in the defense. There's something that they're actually afraid of. And this, this expression of, of 
anger. They're, what are they? What are mm. they actually doing? What is it accomplishing? Well, it's pushing people away, mm. right? It's keeping them separate right. where they're going to feel safe. So it's, it actually makes sense. So, so something happened to them in their childhood that that led them to this disposition, and mm. now they're acting it out in their adult life, which was exactly what I was doing. I mean, I hid it behind a very charming mask. Mm. I was very charming. That was how I got what I wanted out of life through my charm, but I wasn't really being authentic, mm. which was why I was so frustrated and sad, which I think is why most of us are frustrated and sad mm. is because we know we're not really in alignment with our true self. And that's a painful experience. Mm. Well, my mind is right now started to connect the dots from several parts, right? I was, I was, um, I checked the documentary by Alexander Lowen, for example. The, the it's called the bio, the the energetics of bioenergetics, and like you uh -huh. mentioned, bioenergetics is the precursor yeah. of core energetics, right? And he is talking about how. When we humans are not fully breathing, therefore we're holding on to stuff or emotions. And the way that we hold emotions is by collapsing our, our breath and just stiffening. Right? Exactly. And uh, we do it. Um, and, and correct me, please. Uh, and everything yeah, yeah. that I'm going to just put out here. But it is we since we were kids, we had not a properly developed cognitive capability, let's say, and but still the story-making machine that we have was already running. Right, right. right. <laughs> That's a great way to say it. And so what I'm understanding is we experienced something, we gave it a, a meaning yes. to that story, and that story got stored in our body, mm -hmm. basically in our nervous system. And then on top of that, that's when the conscious mind emerged yeah but this other memory like you are mentioning was so deep inside of you and we gave this story a meaning even though if the person was that that was part of the traumatic experience had no bad intention had no ill intention. right of course mm, got it and and so we carry that emotion for decades well and, and children are narcissists like all children mm. in a sense are narcissists meaning that um, they can only see the world through themselves. They're uh -huh. not, it's not, they're not separate from it, right? Um, or they can't see other things as separate. So everything that's happening when uh -huh. your child in some way comes back to them. So um, meaning that they take everything very personally mm. when it's not personal. And so they are, they're going to internalize that. So um, if their father leaves or is not around, um, some part of them believes that it's because of them. There's something oh. that they did, right? Unless it's explained to them explicitly, then they can understand it. But in the absence of explanation, mm. it's very easy for the child to draw a conclusion that it has something to do with them. So many of us have places where we feel we are bad mm. or we're unlovable or mm. we're not enough. And because the child drew false conclusions, made meaning, told themselves a story about what was happening uh, that was, yeah, not not true. But uh, that's the conclusion they that they drew from it. And then that gets locked in the unconscious. And then they're out in the world uh, believing that, but but unaware of it. And even if you question them about it, they say, no, no, I don't I don't I don't think mm. that. 
I mean, I remember my therapist challenged me, said, well, there's, I'm sure there's some part of you that feels that you're unlovable. And I said, no, I don't, I don't think so. No, I think I'm pretty lovable. <laughs> um, but it was only later that I realized, oh, this, that was a deep, yeah, a deep fear of mine. Like that I, that I wasn't found fundamentally mm. lovable. And so I had to make myself into something to mm. be something, to achieve something in order to receive love. That was the belief that I had. Which turns into a habit, an unconscious habit, actually. I bet. Yeah, an unconscious habit. And it's also, it's, uh, it, it's never enough, right? Uh, there's, you can, there's no amount of achieving you can do, right? It's a bottomless pit. Mm. And so it's a kind of hell. So let, let me put it aside now. We're talking about basically shadow work, right? Yeah. And the things that we do, not even realize that we have cruelty, uh, um, sadistic behaviors, mm -hmm. you name it. Anything. Yeah. But that's, that's, uh, something tells me that that does not mean that we're living in, in light work here on this side. That does not mean either that we are the best version of ourselves. If we're holding on to so many things and we're repressing, does that also mean that we're repressing actually our potential? Yes. Yes. Well, that the energy uh, that is going into our shadow, which is like the repressive energy, that energy could be used for creation. Mm. So part of the reason we want to liberate the shadow and liberate all the emotions. And so we, so we have access to all of our energy to build and create and to love, to do all the things that we want to do. So it's mm. not just that our, our anger or frustration or our pain is held back. It's also our love and our light is held back. And, and in fact, that's the thing that most of us have the most shame about, hmm. right? Our greatness, our beauty, our gifts, our love. I mean, I say this all the time, like uh, I'll ask people in, in workshops to, you know, reveal themselves, the, their sins, their transgressions, their failures, their disappointments, and they'll do it, right? People will talk about their problems and how they're not enough and how they fucked up and all of that. But then you ask them to, um, talk about their, their longings or their dreams or what they want or, or what are your gifts? You know, what are you good at? Tell, tell us about your greatness and people freeze. Wow. That's the thing they're most scared to reveal. Hmm. Why do you think they're scared of revealing that part? Because it's the most vulnerable. You're wow. wide open. You're undefended. And we've been conditioned to think that it's arrogance, hmm. you know, or it, it, it is in fact shameful. Don't be conceited. Oh, uh, this is profound. And, and that is partially what you guys are helping in the deep feeling workshop and also your work, right? Mm -hmm. With Angela as well. So let's, we're going to get back here. Now, going back to radical aliveness happened, you got this breakthrough, by the right. way. Thank you for the story. I didn't know that story. So yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that you have talked about that one. I talk, yeah, no, I, I, well, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, you have to tell that story in context. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's quite a, quite a, quite a story, obviously. Yeah. Thanks, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so this going back to the reinvention of of your own character mm -hmm. for many people they get so caught up into the identity of something that they have been doing for decades or they right. i am 
and fill in the blanks, the, the, the career or the title, right? Yeah. How was in your case the transition between I am an actor to I am this new thing? Yeah, well, I'll let you know. I'm still working on it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's been hard. I mean, I, I'm on the other side of it, but uh, it took me a long time because I was very attached to that identity, to, to being an actor. And it, 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 I did well, you know, it served me well. I had a great career and, um, a lot of friends and, uh, community and, and yeah, as you said, like my identity was, was wrapped up in it. Um, so it took me a number of years to really let go of that. And I, I retired, you know, many times, you know, called up my agent and said, I'm done. I'm no more auditions. I'm, I'm done. And then, you know, but it took, it took three tries until I was actually done over the course of probably 18 months. And then there was a, you know, a call that I made and I said, no, I'm, I'm done. And, and it felt like that they actually heard it. I could, I could hear them. Uh, they were like, okay. Like they believed me. And I thought, okay, I'm here. Like, I'm really ready to let this go. And, uh, you know, I put it out an announcement, um, on my Facebook and Instagram that I was officially retiring and I, and I wrote about it and, and why, and I was, uh, surprised at the response that I got. It was, it was really quite touching because I, you know, I was on a very popular television show that had a lot of fans and I got all these amazing replies. And, um, so that was that was really a, a beautiful thing, but yeah, changing careers, you know, in your late forties, uh, is not an easy thing to do, but, um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm following my life. I'm following my, mm. my passions and it's, it's, it's bigger than me. It's, it doesn't, people say, uh, what, a, what a, a brave choice you made. Mm. And it doesn't feel like a choice to me because I was, the truth is I was miserable as an actor. Um, you know, by the, maybe about 44, 45, I was just not, I was miserable. I didn't, I didn't want to do it anymore. There was nothing satisfying about it for me. So, uh, it was, it was in that sense, it was, it was easy to, to get out of it. And this, this work was, was bringing me all kinds of fulfillment and excitement. And, uh, it felt filled with potential. And I had a number of people when I was kind of existing in both worlds, who came up to me un unprompted, they could maybe sense my conflict and said, hmm. uh, you know, I think this is, uh, this is what you're supposed to be doing, you know, after workshops, it, mm -hmm. a number of people said that to me. And so I took that as a, as a sign that, yeah, this, this is what I'm supposed to be doing at this point in my life. Hmm. Wow. And that is also because so many people, like I said, they get stuck into an identity and they don't know that there are other alternatives. Right. In your case, you find it, you found it through your own healing, apparently. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I healed myself and then uh, it it opened me up to more life. And and also, I think healing myself, um, you know, I think Marlon Brando said something that, you know, the desire to be an actor is a it is an erotic impulse and, uh, mm -hmm. the, the sign of uh, growth and maturity is, is retiring <laughs> from it. And I think that was true. It, it, I, I was playing a, some, there was some, something that was motivating me, as I said earlier, that was, uh, it was the little boy inside me wanting to be seen and wanting to prove something and, and wanting to be famous, wanting to be special.
mm-hmm. and maybe I was doing it to uh, to please my mother or, or or win the love of my father. There was there was something else that was motivating it besides just my desire to be uh, mm-hmm. creatively expressed and fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't feel that it, it that that got healed, I think. And so that allowed me to to move on from that and and do what I I think I'm I'm meant to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and that experience that I had as an actor is helping me immensely because I'm comfortable being in front of people, and uh, the 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 there, there's a kind of a, a freedom and aliveness that you have to uh, develop as an actor. You you have to be able to perform and and. Mm. And you need that as a, as a facilitator as well. You have to exhibit a kind of a kind of freedom, and 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 you are in a role as a facilitator, and you're you're dealing with people's um, transference. They're they're projecting onto you things, mm. and and you have to hold that projection for them. And and certainly when you are, when you're an actor, particularly when you're you become famous, you're you're there's a lot of things coming at you, a lot of transference. People looking at you, but not really seeing you. They're seeing mm, the version of yeah, of gosh. you that that is in their own mind, and and to be able to understand that and and hold that projection for them, I I learned that as an actor, and it, it definitely served me well as a as a facilitator. And you just read my mind because I was about to ask exactly what or how does your acting skills connect if at some point here to mm-hmm. this work because like you said with uh, Anne Bradley actually she acted out for you yeah the role of your That's mother. right yeah there's a lot of role playing in the work we do so you might somebody might have issues with their father and you might ask them to look around the room and pick somebody who could stand in for their father and uh, maybe they start hitting and screaming and saying all the things that they need to say to their father. But sometimes in the role uh, that father might also have things to say. Mm. And if the person, there's a kind of a scene gets created. And if you're attuned to the person, it's almost like you can feel the energy of their father. It's like you're almost channeling it in some way. And it's very Mm. interesting how, intuitive that is for people and how accurate it can be it's kind of a yeah it's kind of amazing so that's one of the things we're trying to to teach people how to do because it's very powerful and there's something in in that for them right uh something to understand and learn about themselves in the role right even if they're just standing in for some somebody else there's often something that they they're going to take away from that or, or 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 learn about themselves And so that I, you know, I had that dialed in. That was Mm. something that I was able to do uh, easily right from the beginning because I spent the last 20 years doing that. And I think that served me really well, like standing in, being able to play uh, people's, you know, father, Mm. mostly people's father or lover um, and be able to reflect back to them uh, uh, certain dynamics in, in, in the relationship and, Mm. uh, so that they could feel what was actually going on. And, uh, I mean, ultimately what I'm doing is, um, I'm trying to lead people to a place where there's, there's nowhere left to go except to feel Hmm. there's no way out. There's no story. There's no, no other place that they can rationalize. It's like, you're, you're just leading them to this place where it's like, they're, they're, they're almost caught. And it's like, Hmm. you can either leave if you, you can leave, you can disassociate, you can tell a story, you can rationalize whatever, 
or you can stay here and feel. Mm. It sounds like an ayahuasca experience without It's exactly. <laughs> well, we just had a workshop and there's a guy who had done a hundred ayahuasca ceremonies oh. and he, in the, at the end of the, the group, we're all in the circle holding hands and he said, turns to me and he says, this work is harder than ayahuasca. <laughs> and I think that's true because, um, it demands more of you and it's the same. It's, and it's the same thing. It's like, it, we're, we're taking you out of control, mm. right? Like you're going to go on the ride and, uh, it's, uh, it's scary. So let's talk about that because every time that I see any of your videos, there are people crying, yelling, yeah. punching. Uh -huh. So what are, we have some of your, your, your office equipment here. Yeah. Well, this is, so this is a, like a bataka that we use. And this is like a foam block and what we have, you know, people hit it and there's like a, a technique we use. There's definitely techniques. It's not just, um, uh, you know, what you maybe saw in the sixties and seventies primal therapy, or you see in these Osho documentaries, it's a bunch of people in a room running around screaming like maniacs. Uh, it's contained, right? Like there's techniques to it. And, um, So we use things like, yeah, the, the foam block and the bataka because we hold a lot of tension across our back. And when we hit with it and come down and let out some sound, um, emotion will come through naturally. And very often people will get up and they'll hit and they'll say, you know, this feels fake. And, and that's understandable. But if they keep going, if you keep mm. hitting something and letting out a sound, emotion is going to begin to come up. Mm. And so this uh, helps people just feel, and, and that's often where we start. And it, it, people say, well, I'm not angry. You know, I, I, I'm, why would I hit? Well, you're not necessarily hitting to express anger. You might hit just to bring out your energy, just to like, just to say I'm here or I'm alive or, uh, you know, look at me, whatever, whatever it is, right. Um, you're inviting back um, all the, as I said earlier, all the aspects of ourself that were repressed as children. So often they're going to come out in, in, uh, in, the, in that simple way, mm. right. Which is just like, like children. It's like, look at me, I'm here. Like they, they want to be seen. They want to be felt. And, um, and very often that's, that's all, that's where we start mm. or they, or their protest wants to be received, right? Like, you know, we see children throw tantrums all the time. And, and, um, and, you know, uh, understandably parents need to create, uh, containers for that. Um, but if that tantrum is just immediately shut down or shamed, um, it creates, uh, that, mm. that child then learns like, yeah, they have to, they, that uh -huh. part of them is not, it's not welcome, wow. but that's energy that wants to move. I mean, it's when a child is throwing a tantrum, it's just their body mm. expressing something. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if that got held, you know, what we do in here is like, right. that's, we'll lay down, you know, lay a mattress out and have them, uh, lay on it and just tantrum. Well, it reminds me of, uh, Dr. What's the, uh, Peter Levine. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. And how he uses this metaphor of what's this game that is like, um, screw it's, I'm trying to recall, but you just press it and you just let it flow. And, and it's, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a like, a, like a, yeah, a jack in the box. Yeah, something like uh -huh. that. So you're holding and holding and That's holding right. and holding. And what we, what you guys are doing is allowing that energy yeah. to go back yeah. to flow. Yeah. 
Mm. Now, question. Many people, when I start describing what the Deep Feeling Workshop is or the kind of work mm -hmm. that you're doing, they tell me, oh, that's an anger room. It's it, an anger room. So, so yeah. you know that it's a very trendy thing that right. people now go to a place and they are given a helmet and a baseball yeah. or, or a golf club and they just start smashing yeah. things. So how come is that one different to this one? What is the difference? Well, I think anger rooms are great. You know, it's like to go and get out your your rage and your frustration to hit something can be very satisfying and and you can discharge a lot of energy. So I think it's 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 good. You know, other people get it through exercise or, or, or boxing, like, but what we're doing is a little bit more intentional. So we would be working with somebody's uh, anger and frustration as, as a layer, right? And then to try to get them to a deeper layer and maybe it happens in that moment or maybe it happens at, at some time in the future. But, um, we're trying to get to what's underneath, hmm. right? What's underneath that anger? Why are you so frustrated? Hmm. Why are you so angry? What's going on here? What is this hmm. about? And how are you creating this pattern in your life? Right? There's probably some need underneath it, or there's some place where you uh, are allowing your boundaries to be violated, or maybe there's a place that you are betraying yourself hmm. or you're holding back. And that's why you're so, frustrated and what is that and why and it's probably something from your child there's probably something really painful here and what i'm holding in my consciousness when i'm working with people is one simple question what are they unwilling to feel what is scary for them to feel mm -hmm. what's at the root here and it's it's always something to do with their pain and fear right so really what we're doing doing is trying to take people into the center of their pain, knowing that if they can feel that, really mm. feel it and let it through their body, something is going to be liberated and mm. it's going to set them free. And uh, something that also reminds me, and I've been in, in the workshops, so that's that's the reason mm -hmm. it blew my mind. And actually, I have to thank you because you actually played the role of my dad when I needed it. Yeah. So that was a very intense sensation, a very intense experience for me that I will, I don't think I'm, I'm going to ever forget. <laughs> yeah. Again because of all the events that happened, right, that led to that, that I situation. remember. It was, it was a deep process. <laughs> it was and, and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So Quite beautiful. Thank you, thank you very much yeah. for that. I wanted to, to thank you for that, Dave. And also now going back to the, the, the logistics of what I found very interesting in this work is that because we're in a group being part of the Deep Feeling mm -hmm. Workshop, something that I realized is that we start getting triggered by other people yeah. and we trigger other ones. So I have, right. I have this silly theory that it is trauma got created, the majority of the trauma, by the interaction with another human. That's right. And it is thanks to the interaction with another human that we can heal That's right. from that trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I'm seeing is that the interaction here that you guys created fosters the healthy, express, healthy expression of triggering responses so that we can process it in the present. Right. Now, what does to be present mean for, for example, people like me? I, and then you, you taught me this. It's like, JJ, come back here. Right now, right here, many people <laughs> right, start right, thinking right. about this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, listen, you, in these workshops, people disassociate all the time and in very, very mm -hmm. subtle ways, right? So when somebody hits this block and they're, they're bringing out anger and letting it be seen 
and they've never done that before, well, as soon as they finish hitting, there's a part of them that wants to leave mm. because it feels scary. It doesn't feel okay. And they'll, they'll kind of look up or, or you'll just subtly see their head kind of moving back and you can feel them not present. And so I'm always trying to pull people back into the presence because it's in presence that you can heal, right? Because if they can stay present in that experience, that's how they can change. That's mm. how they can heal. So you have to stay present to heal. That's essentially what healing is. It's re-experiencing the trauma from our childhood mm. in presence, allowing mm. it to come through our bodies, but being present for it, not being disassociated and, and sort of in our, in our history, mm. re-experiencing it as the six-year-old or seven-year-old, right? Mm. You, you're, you're letting that energy move through you, but you're doing it from the adult perspective in presence. That's how we heal. Wow. And that, that makes sense because neurologically, if we get dissociated from the person, that means that we're going back to the That's same right. section of our brain that That's was right. firing. Yeah. So you are helping people to use that one and the transition to this one. Yeah. Mm. And just to see that it's safe, that they're actually safe mm. to, to, to be here, to be present. Like it's, right. it's okay. And you're giving them a new experience and and as you said it, you know we 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 get hurt traumatized in relationship and connection and we heal in relationship and connection which is why group work i think is is so powerful because it's it's through the connection with the other people it's through being witnessed it's it's through the interaction that that uh we give people a new experience that then changes them hmm. now let's go to talk about Uh, how did you meet Angela? Angela, Angela is your, your, your mm -hmm. partner in this. How did you guys get together with the Deep Feeling Workshop? Well, she was in the, the training program oh. with me. She was, we weren't in the same year. She was in the year just uh, behind me. Um, and uh, yeah, we started to, to talk and become friendly and just um, talk about the work and talk about our practice and just support each other. And, uh, and what what we found is that we were philosophically very similar mm. um, because it's not hard. It's not easy to find somebody to work with. Mm. Uh, I don't work well with many people. Um, pretty much Angela is the only person <laughs> that I work well with because it's very hard. It's a very hard thing. So it's like anything, you know, it's like mm. musicians coming together. It's like, it's not, you can't just play with any musician. There's, and certain people have more chemistry and, and Angela and I just, we, we see the work the same way. There's a real chemistry. There's a dynamic together. And, um, and there's something I think powerful about, uh, having a man and a woman lead a workshop together because, mm. uh, unconsciously we reflect the, the, the archetypes, mm. right? The mother and the father. Mm. And so, um, people are in the experience of, of that. And I think that just that alone and seeing how we interact with each other very, Honestly, I mean, we're certainly have our unconscious things and dynamics that I'm sure that people see and are aware of. But uh, in general, we're we're doing our best to to be as present and and mm. uh, honest as we can about who we are and 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 what our relationship is. And I think that in and of itself can be healing for yeah. a group because I think we do model um, a healthy relationship. And I actually mm. think our relationship is quite healthy. I mean, we're, we're, we're friends, you know, coworkers and, and, um, and you know, that that's what we do on the podcast. We try to, you know, get really yeah. honest with each other and it's, 
it that relationship feels uh, very special to me, very precious and almost miraculous. Uh, and I feel so grateful that I have somebody like her that I can work with and who uh, supports me and, and who I can support. And we're, we're growing together as, as facilitators. Hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know how, how you guys got in touch. Now we're getting to the last part of, mm -hmm. of, the, of the interview. I have a few questions that some of them are, th these are rapid fire questions, but some of them may take a long winded answer. So take your time. Okay. So we, the first one is what are some failures that you experienced failures that turn into something that actually was was a, a growth catalyst in just in my life yeah well um the first one is i got you know i had a back injury in my second year uh at university and so i had to uh sit out the year from basketball and that's what led me to acting mm. so that was a kind of uh, failure it was a, certainly a disappointment but then it took my life in this this whole new direction and i could say you know getting dumped by my movie star girlfriend led me to this work so you know i try to you know it's it's very hard to uh in the moment when we're experiencing mm. disappointment and failure or heartbreak to to trust it That, that I'm being, you know, this is going to ultimately lead to something good. But, but that is the case in my life over and over. And I think, I think in most people's lives, if they, if they really are willing to see it. Mm, thanks. And that also makes me think that when we are in the process of healing, we can also give the meaning to maybe a situation that we experienced as kids. That's right. That we can give it a different lens. Yes, that's exactly it. Mm. Next one. What is, here it is, what's your definition of a successful day? A successful day? Yeah. Well, I like to work. So I want to feel that I got a lot of work done, uh, that I was um, efficient in, in the work. And uh, that's like the primary thing. And um, for me, at least at this point in my life, um, but uh, just feeling, you know, gratitude, for for what i have and and being able to uh, move my body exercise and and spend some time with with my lady and and just feeling that things are are balanced and in harmony but but right now i i am in a, and i've been different phases in my life i'm for me it's 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 i'm very oriented towards work and and building you know this this business this practice and getting mm -hmm. this work out there to as many people as possible so when I'm, I feel deeply engaged and immersed in my work in such a way that doesn't even feel like work, that for me, it feels like a good day. Mm. Thank you. Going back to, you already mentioned some of your daily habits. What are other daily habits that you have that they need to be there present for you so that you can perform at your best? Yeah, well, um, I'm definitely uh, somebody who has to exercise pretty much daily. So I go on a lot of very long seven to 10 mile walks, uh, probably four times a week at least. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm probably in the gym, uh, working out. So exercise for me is foundational. Uh, I try not to miss workouts. Um, getting outside is really important. Um, journaling in the morning is also something that's really important to me. I go in and out of meditation. Uh, it, it, 
it's yeah, I'm not, I'm not a, I don't meditate all the time. I'll go through periods of time and it's useful for me. And then the other thing really that's changed my life is the, uh, the ice baths, the, uh, the cold exposure mm-hmm. that, that is a game changer for me. I've been doing it for five or six years and it's completely eliminated all of my body pain, all the inflammation of my body. I had a lot of body pain. I had old injuries as a athlete. They're now all completely gone. And then the, the other thing that I would say is, um, uh, my spiritual practice, which is, uh, through, uh, the, the Lakota way, uh, the red road as they call it, which, uh, for me is a, as a weekly sweat lodge. So I sweat lodge every mm-hmm. Wednesday night and that's where I go to, uh, to pray. Hmm. Wow. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. What is something that you have unlearned in recent years that improved the quality of your life? What is something that I've learned that's unlearned unlearned? Yeah. Ah, that's an interesting question. Um, probably that, uh, imposing my will on the world can work. <laughs> but it's not the most efficient way to do things. I think when I was younger, uh, I had this idea that it was all about, um, yeah, imposing my will. Like I'm going to dominate mm. the world. Um, very masculine. And there's not, I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a, it's a powerful energy and, you know, I was an athlete and it, there's something very alive in that. But, uh, as I've gotten older, um, I've seen the value in, in letting go of that and actually being more in the flow and letting things come to me mm-hmm. and not trying to, uh, impose my will on things and, uh, uh, to certainly be active and intentional, but also to just stay in the flow and trust that life is going to, uh, bring me mm-hmm. the things that I need and I want and that I don't have to always be out there trying to make it happen. Hmm. Maybe that's the reason healing the emotional part also. Yeah. Helps too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause it's not, there's, there's not a, the neuroticism of I must mm. achieve in order to be loved. Right. Wow. That's it. Who are your mentors or role models? Uh, well, my teacher, Ann Bradney is, is certainly at the top of the list. I mean, I think she's the, the greatest facilitator that I've ever worked with. She's a genius. Um, and, uh, she helped me heal more than any person. And I learned so much from her. I mean, I feel in some way I'm just, you know, emulating her all the time. Hmm. Um, Angela is also a role model for me in the way that she shows up her, her compassion, her openness, her vulnerability. Um, I mean, I could go on. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of people that I'm, uh, that I think about and, and who I love, um, but those, those are the two at the, at the top of the list. I'm trying to think if there's a, there's a man in there. There's, there is, I have a, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm drawn to very, uh, you know, in, intense people. And I guess, um, my teacher, my Lakota song teacher, Yoshi, um, he's been a mentor to me. Um, he dedicated a Japanese man, uh, very interesting story came to America as a immigrant in his early twenties. And uh, went out to uh, New Mexico and visited a uh, Indian reservation and never left. Mm. Uh, became completely immersed in the culture and became, uh, you know, 
integral in uh, wow. Crow Dogs. Uh, Crow Dog is a very famous chief and medicine man. Uh, he became integral in his circle and became one of the the most uh, renowned Lakota song carriers and drummers and singers uh, in the country. And he was my teacher. And uh, his dedication, his commitment to um, his path to the Red Road is, is always an inspiration to me. Anybody who commits fully to their thing, to one thing, and, and essentially gives up everything else, which is what he did mm. for that one thing. I'm, I'm, I find that incredibly inspiring. Wow. Thanks. I'm going to research a little bit more on that topic. And I yeah. know who's going to be uh, part of, of a future interview there. Dave, what would you say your younger version five years ago? What would What's I say? The advice? What was the advice that you would give? Don't worry so much. Let it come. Don't try to force it. You're doing good work. Trust. Hmm. And what would you tell the Dave's version from here? Five years. Five years out? Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. What would I say to the... I, well, I guess I don't, I don't know exactly who or what I'm going to be in five years, but I hope, I hope, um, uh, yeah, I just hope I'm in a, a place of fulfillment and, uh, feeling like, uh, I'm growing in a way that, uh, that, that is proportional to my own, you know, just what feels good for me. Nice. At least we're going to have this so that I can come back in five years. Yeah. Hey, Dave, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope I've, you know, I don't say, I was going to say achieve my goals, but it's not really, I mean, there's things that I want to do, but it's, it's really more, you know, it, have I had an impact? That's, that's really, you know, hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm 53 and, you know, which is different than being 33. It's different than being 43. Like, you know, time is running short in a way. And so I feel this urgency um, see my legacy years to really, uh, have an impact and to leave behind something, mm. um, and to give it all. Right. So I'm, I'm in that point in my life where, uh, just, I want to, I want to give it all and leave it all on the field. Mm. And, uh, and I, I hopefully, uh, I'll feel that way in, in, in five years that, that that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm leaving, leaving it all in the field. That's beautiful. Thanks. Dave, where can people find you on the net? Um, you can find me on my website, davidsutcliffe.com. I'm on Instagram at davidsutcliffe33. And, uh, Which is not your age. <laughs> it's not my age, no. And I'm on, I'm on TikTok. TikTok, is, is, TikTok loves me. Wow. It's amazing. I've blown up on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I put it on Instagram and I get five, 10,000 views. I put it on TikTok and it's 500,000 views. So I'm, I'm partial to TikTok. TikTok loves me. I love them back. So I'm also on TikTok at Dave Suddy, but it's all on Instagram. I, I make little videos sort of teaching concepts and, and, and post them and Um, but we have the deep feeling workshops. You can also check out if you're interested in my workshop, deepfeelingworkshops.com. We, we do them here in Austin, uh, about every two months. And, um, but all that's, you know, um, if you go to my website, it's, it's all there. There's lots of offerings and, um, uh, I'm, you know, I'm always busy with, with stuff. So there's always more coming out. 
Great. And we're going to put the links of the your information yeah. and all the workshop also in the link. Fantastic. Notes. Thank you. Great. Is there anything else that you would like to tell the audience? Come to a workshop. That's what I would say. Come, come. I, I, this is what I say to people. I promise you it's not like anything you've ever done before. And I promise you that you will have your mind blown. You will have an experience unlike anything you've ever had. And it'll be useful and interesting and valuable. And uh, so if you feel called, if you feel like you need to feel your feelings, mm -hmm. if you're stuck, if you feel blocked, uh, come on out deepfeelingworkshops.com and uh, there's there's always an, a new workshop coming up. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so lastly, in closing, if you could leave the audience with one question to expand their minds, what would that question be? It's the, the question that I'm, I'm always asking, as I said earlier, when I'm working with people, what is it that you are unwilling to feel? So anytime you feel yourself stressed or stuck or blocked or you're triggered, That's the question to ask yourself. What am I unwilling or what am I afraid to feel? And that question will help orient you to a deeper level of truth about what's actually happening in the moment. Thank you so much, Dave. The work that you and Angela are doing is it's really inspiring, like I, like I mentioned. And anything that we can do to support it, here for, for you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice. Thank you, guys. If you enjoyed this conversation with David Sutcliffe here, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe to get information about upcoming interviews. That was another episode of Optimizando Me or Optimizing Me. I'm JJ Ruescas. Keep learning, keep optimizing. See you soon. <laughs>